Good morning, class. feel like a substitute teacher trying to get everybody's uh, attention. I'm not really sure how. <laughs> yep. So here we are. May. Happy May, everybody. Yay. Yep, that's right. So if you feel like you're about to crash, what do you say? May Day. So that's what I always do when uh, uh, the connection is bad. Like, you know, you, you drive through a dead spot and you're talking to somebody. I'm always like, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. I'm losing you. Tell my wife I let click. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, we were in the airport in uh, Houston long time ago and uh this the guy at the gate was really interesting and uh he just made life a lot of fun like the flight was delayed and so he told everybody i appreciate your enthusiasm but uh, we're not boarding at this time so you can all just have a seat and, and uh he said a bunch of things that were really funny and uh i commented to him about it when it came time to actually get on the plane and i said you know i, I really enjoyed that you made that a lot of fun and he said well life is not fun. You have to bring it with you. So, like, yeah, I like that. So I've I, uh, I've kind of kept that with me all these years. Life is not all that fun, so you have to bring it with you. So let's pray. Jesus, we uh, are grateful to be in this place today. We're grateful for all that you have blessed us with, done for us, and uh, you know what we want today is to receive from you exactly what you have for us. You know, we want ears to hear eyes to see, hearts to receive. God, we bind the flesh and the carnal mind and we lose your spirit in this place. God, to to do and say exactly what you want to do, exactly what you want to say. God, it doesn't matter uh, uh, who it is that, that speaks. It doesn't matter who it is that sings. The point is is that you are here. And and uh, we, uh, we trust you to do the things that you do. Yeah, we just praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. You know, uh, for years I've been going to uh, Pioneer Ridge. And uh, when I started out, the uh, activities lady couldn't come up with any really great time that I could come regularly around my job. So she picked dinner time. And so, of course, you've all heard me talk about the captive audience gospel hour. And because uh, after all, they were busy eating dinner and there really was nowhere for them to go. And so I came in there under the thin guise of singing songs to them so that I could uh, preach the gospel at them. And uh, it's always fun going to places like that. You know, Cynthia looked like she was carrying a, a beach ball with her into the place when we first went. And these two ladies were having this uh, hushed conversation that sounded something like, What? I think she's pregnant. Oh! <laughs> like you think? But unless there is a person coming out of them, you should never ask a woman if she is pregnant or not. Leave that to them to tell you, because they will. Anyway, um, not sure why I brought that up now. <laughs> <laughs> 
I actually had a, a serious, real reason that I brought that up. Oh, because I it was always on a Monday evening, and uh, uh, you know when you have a full-time job and small children and and all that, uh, it's sometimes budgeting your time can be quite difficult. And uh, there were lots of times that I would come home from work, take a shower, eat something really fast, and then throw my stuff in the car and go over there. And so I didn't exactly feel prepared. And so I would, I just, every time I went over there, I was like, God, I don't know what they need, but you do. And so I'm just going there to give you a chance to be there to do something. And and he always would, and he always does. And so so it's a blessing. I appreciate uh, um, Ron and Rachel getting to go to Georgia. I wish I was in Georgia. But... Um, at least I didn't have to put on my swim trunks to travel for the weekend. <laughs> so while they're, you know, sailing to church, we have nice blue sky, nice pretty spring morning. So I want to talk a little bit about the difference between salvation by works and working out your salvation. So in Philippians 2, and I'm going to start in verse 12. Well, maybe back a little bit. Yeah, you guys all know. Uh, okay, I'm just going to, you know, you know how this works. All right. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him, given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, and see, they, they, it's tricky when they, you know, the verse you want to read starts out with uh, some kind of, con, you know, transition kind of word like that, because it's like, wherefore what? I like, you know, so then, that's a good one. So then, wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So it's interesting because Paul says, um, so I came to you and I, I preached this gospel to you. and uh, And I like how... Simply, he makes this, uh, he starts out in five because he says to let this mind be in you. you know, and you guys are all preaching this in your head right along with me. Because that's what God does is he comes on the inside and he changes the way you think. You know, I, I was talking about this with my kids the other day. I was like, you know what? If, if I could put my mind into my children, into Zoe, for example, I wouldn't have to remind her to flush the toilet and wash her hands every time. She would just do it, and how, how know, who knows how great that would be? And of course, my kids took up the cause, and uh, and Levi was like, "Yeah, yeah." And if we could put our mind in you, then I was like, <laughs> yeah, everyone knows how great that would be. Well, you know, it's it's like like um, uh, Mark Rutland's wife said in that. 
the, the marriage counseling seminar that they did. She's like, if you think of your husband as a 55-year-old man, then you're going to destroy your marriage. You have to remember that he's eight. <laughs> and to some degree that is true, but I have also discovered over the years that you have to kind of grow up a little bit and hike up your big boy undies and be a man. So, Because I, I, I realized after Cynthia had been married for a really long time that while I was a child when we got married, she didn't actually want to be married to a child. And so she was kind of hoping for a man. So I thought, okay, I'll put away the childish things. So... So yes, having Levi's mind would indeed be entertaining, to say the least. Okay, so so but so Paul says that uh, this is how easy this is. Just let this be in you. Let let his thinking become your thinking. And uh, he says that uh, in verse twelve. He says, you, you obeyed when I was there. I came and I preached the gospel to you. I, I gave you this good news and I brought you this teaching and, and you followed along with it. And so now that I'm not there, it would be a lot easier to do a little of this and do a little of that because it's a lot easier to do a little of this and a little of that when your dad's not there. But, but the point that he makes here is that God is still there. That, that God is always there, and, and he, he knows the things that you're doing, and he knows the things that you're thinking. And, and so he said, now much more in my absence, because as you grow in the Lord, there's this sense of accountability that comes with he's here with me, and he has expectations of me to, to do the things that he'd have me do. And we've been talking a lot about that around here uh, lately. But he said, now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's an interesting statement because um, I could ask every one of you in here, is your salvation by works? And you would ultimately know because you're right, it's not. And uh, But uh, the book of James is a really great place to uh, read about that and to kind of mull over that idea of how how faith and how uh, works are linked because uh, your your works should be a, uh, an outgrowing, like a fruit of your faith. Because if you have faith and there's nobody can see any uh, fruit of it in your life, if nobody can see any result of your faith in God in your life, then it's not really faith then. It's some kind of idea. But to have real God do real business in your life, uh, people can see the difference. And so that's a different thing. Uh, but it's interesting to think, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because um, you know what this says to me is that your salvation is a personal thing. It's, it's an individual thing. That and it requires a decision, uh, a, a really a series of decisions that uh, over your, the course of your life that nobody can make for you. And, you know, I've, I've talked to my kids about this a lot. It's like you know, while you are, while, while you guys are young, while you live in my house, I'm going to t- teach you the Word of God. I'm going to uh, make you do right, and you, you're going to come to church with me, and I'm going to raise you to serve God. Now, whether or not you do. When you get older, that's up to you. If you don't, I will come and find you and beat you. 
And uh, <laughs> Levi looked at me kind of perplexed. And uh, he was like, what? And I was like, well, because no matter how big you get, because I expect him to turn into a big hulking beast when he grows up, that I'm still your dad, and I can still beat you down. <laughs> and, and if you don't love Jesus, I will. So, um, you know, but I, I've, I've really made an effort to instill in my kids the importance of, of these things. Because when you're a kid, I mean, I didn't grow up in church. But I, I know when you're a kid, it's like, oh, church. Or, you know, you're sitting there having family altar time or whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, and I always remind them, I was like, do you do this at school? Like your teacher can like talk for like 20, 30 minutes about something and you just sit. You're, you're good. You know, like I, I talk about the Bible for five minutes and you got your feet up in the air and your head hanging off the couch. And it's like, okay, this is an important thing. Uh, but he says, uh, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's a serious thing. And, um, you know, that, uh, to say that, that your salvation is a, is a life and death matter uh, is, is an understatement, to say the least. Because it's more than a life and death thing. This is a forever thing. And uh, so, <clears throat> so it is something that we take seriously. And it's something that we have to decide for ourselves. Because, because he's made that that uh, door for everybody. He's he's made that opportunity for everybody, but uh, you have to to choose it. But it's interesting because having said that, then he says, "For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure." And I like the way the Darby puts this. It says that it's God that works in you, the willing and the working of His good pleasure. So. So he says that um, then that to, to some degree then this this choice that you make the impetus for this choice comes from him because he puts in you this desire and wouldn't that be great if you could do that to people wouldn't it be great if you could do that to your children like I just have this overwhelming desire to clean my room <laughs> like wow it's like I really should uh, I should clean up the, the toilet seat after I'm done. <laughs> so, anyway. You guys know far too much about my children. But it's God that works in you both to will, to want to do those things. God puts that desire in you because Jesus said that no man comes to the Father except by drawing. Or no man can come to me except the Father drawing. Sorry. And so, so God puts that in there. And... Um, you know, there, I mean, there's a lot there that I don't understand. There's a lot there that I couldn't explain uh, because because God doesn't override your will. He won't make you do anything. So he can put that desire there, but you still don't have to choose it. You still don't have to pick it. You can still do your own thing. And, you know, it's funny when you get into a habit of something, you can be so tired of some habitual thing and and still find yourself faced with this with A or B, A is your, your obnoxious habit that you're tired of, and you find yourself choosing A without even thinking about it. You know, I for the longest time I had what I this this like deep seated psychological need for a soda all the time. I know that sounds stupid, but I mean seriously, everywhere I went I had to have a drink. And it and it needed to be something bubbly and preferably brown and sweet. 
And, um, I mean, I would be totally, you know, like I just ate. I'm, I don't, I'm not thirsty. I'm not hungry, whatever. If we're leaving somewhere, I'm rummaging around in the fridge for a soda before, like, I drive 20 minutes. It's like, oh, i got to have something for the road. You know? and, and it was funny because it was like, oh, I'm so, so tired of doing this. It's like, I, I, this is not good for me. This is, this, you know, it's a harmless vice, I suppose. But it's like, really, I'm, I'm kind of just tired of this now. And yet, every day, I'm filling my cooler with soda before work in the morning. I'm buying another one at lunchtime and, and just guzzling it down like there's no tomorrow. And, uh, um, but you know, it's funny because I, I, I actually did spend some time in prayer about it. Because I thought, man, God, I just, I'm not getting any younger, and I, I'd like to feel better than I feel. And, uh, you know, they have these ladders that I work on have a weight limit on them. And uh, there's, there's nothing, like, more disconcerting than being on a ladder, and you get to the middle of it, and it goes, and every time you move on it, it just kind of shakes back and forth. Uh, and they groan, and they creak, and you're thinking, wow. I should have had one less cheeseburger yesterday. <laughs> or if you go to Little Caesars, we call that the uh, the slice of regret. Like uh, one too many. So it's God that works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So He He puts that in there, though. He's not going to make you do it, but He'll put that. Hey, that'd be a good idea. And and you'll find yourself uh, gravitating towards those things. And He says and to do his good pleasure. It's it's him that does those things in your life. And so so your salvation then is is never ever uh, contingent on the working of anything because because it's he he paid the price, he did it, and you have to choose it. That that's really the only contingent thing here. But uh, the things that we do in our life uh, require that that belief and that cooperation with the things that he's already put inside of us. Uh, go with me over to Second Corinthians three. Yes, actually, I uh, um, recently started drinking green tea. Back to the soda thing, and all of a sudden, I had not had soda in. Close to two weeks now, or or at least not one that I even finished, and I don't want one. They're just sitting in my fridge. So if you would like a Coke, come by my place, and I will send you with a Coke and some green tea. Wahaha! So. And actually, if you come to my house and you leave with uh, uh, insufficient caffeination, then you should come back. Because I have done you a disservice. So in Second Corinthians three, um, I'm just going to start in verse one. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? For you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. So he's talking to these people just like he did in Philippi. It's like I, I came there and I, I preached. And, and I taught you guys the Word of God. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, people can see what we talked about. People can see the 
the, the gospel in you. Ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. And not in tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. So, sometimes his sentences are rather windy. But what he's saying here is, you know, people can see in you the things that God does. And uh, we, we brought you that word. And, and so God has borne witness that it's real. But it's not because we were anything. It's because God's everything. And because he, he's put these things in you. So he says, Who has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. So, so here he's kind of touching on this uh, um, theme that you see throughout the epistles, uh, this uh, contrast between the law and and the uh, the new covenant and, and of grace, and um, and 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 he's getting ready to talk here about how uh, even having been done away with uh, in some respects. The uh, how valuable the the law still is. I was reading with my children in the in their Bible at night and uh, reading about uh, Adam and Eve and and uh, the knowledge of good and evil and stuff. And um, it was a pretty decent kids Bible, all things considered. But I felt compelled to explain it a lot better than what this guy did. And uh, um, and I talked to him about how. You know, with uh, you know, Adam and Eve got this sense of there is good, there is evil, but they and you guys are all saying along with me in your head, I'm sure they had no criteria which to base it on. They didn't have anything that well, this this would be bad, this would be good. Uh, they just sort of made it up as they went along. And who knows how much fun it is to play a game with a kid when they make up the rules as they go along. It's like I got you, uh uh-uh, uh, uh-uh. got my shield. Invincible. It's invisible, though. You can't see it. I don't even have to hold it up. It's just there. <laughs> well, you're no fun. But uh, so they they had really nothing to base this on other than feelings, and and uh, and they of course uh, had an adversary who was all too happy to feed them his ideas that he'd love to throw at them of well this would be bad this would be bad. And uh, and so, you know, you fast forward to uh, uh, the children of Israel coming to Mount Sinai, and God says, "Okay, here, this is my criteria. This this is something that you can use to look at. You've got this sense of this is bad, this is good, but here I'm going to tell you what's good and what's bad because my idea and your idea may not exactly be the same thing, you know, because." Uh, it's just like in the book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know, every every man's ways seem right in their own eyes. And uh, and it's funny how that happens. It's like, well, I, I, it seems okay to me. You know, and somebody else looks at you askance. Like, is it then? So, so to have something then that uh, gives us that concrete thing is a blessing. 
So he says, who has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, and the Spirit gives life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? So that's an interesting thing because he, he uh, you know, people were always putting words in Paul's mouth or interpreting what he said to, to mean this, that, or the other thing. And, and he, you know, he addresses that in Romans. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, and everybody's going around saying that, I, that I'm teaching that we should sin, that grace should abound. And, and, and of course that's foolishness. And, and but he's this uh, this law here that he's talking about. Uh, he says that it was a glorious thing, and that this was the covenant that God made with Israel, and uh, that and he, he called it this everlasting covenant, and and the the glory of it was such that uh, after Moses had spent this time up on the mountain with God receiving this covenant. They they couldn't look at him, and he had this veil over his face. And and it said that that glory was to be done away. He said, "How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious?" You know, in Hebrews he talks uh, extensively about the types and shadows of the Old Testament of the Old Covenant, and how uh, and how all those things were fulfilled in in Christ. And so. Uh, so it's not that those things uh, had no purpose, because they certainly did. And uh, you know, if, if we if we think that that having read this, that the we don't need to keep the law anymore because it's been done away with, then you know, obviously we're mistaken because uh, uh, you can't you can't do away with with the law. Jesus said that he didn't come to do away with it; he came to fulfill it. And uh, so he says, for if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. So I like that. So ministration of condemnation and the ministration of glory, two entirely different things. Um, I was talking with my kids yesterday about the difference between judgment and condemnation and how uh, judgment simply says this is this is right this is not and and uh, and we're going to deal with it condemnation says this is bad and this is this must be dealt with this must be done away with because God brings condemnation against sin you know and and that's an important kind of condemnation that we need to have in our life because God knows how to make you uncomfortable enough with something that you'll just I'm done with that thing now uh, but there's also a condemnation that comes from the enemy, and it's a, it's different. You know, it's it's similar, I think, but different because uh, you you have this sense of wow, this is really bad. But it always comes with this sense of hopelessness and and despair, and as that uh, in that sense, condemnation is uh, certainly different than judgment because God brings judgment to the sin and he condemns the sin uh, the enemy just comes in and brings condemnation uh, just kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for indiscriminately 
And, uh, and so it's funny because you'll, you'll have this sense of there's something going on. And, and I like the analogy that Ron used, like you're the guy in the back of the post office trying to figure out which slot does this uh, feeling go in. And, uh, and you need the Spirit of God to, to work you through those things because the enemy would love to get you in this place where it's like, oh, well, you know, it, it must be this uh, random obscure thing where so-and-so looked at me funny yesterday and, and, and of course, they know some deep, dark secret about me. And, and, uh, and, but I, I don't see it. Nobody else is going to tell me. They're just going to let me be destroyed in despair. Blah. I've lived there before, and uh, um, so that uh, you know, he talks about this ministry of condemnation, and I, I just can't hardly even mention the word condemnation without going off on that stuff because it's my pet subject. Because I hate it, I hate the stuff that the enemy does that he, he tears down uh, your faith that he that he loves you and that he has every intention to get you through. Like I, I, one of the psalms starts out, "God is only good to Israel." Like, it doesn't get any better than that. It's like, you know, I mean, you, you read through the Psalms, and it's like, man, what am I worried about? God is all on my side. So he says, the, so, but he calls, he's talking about the law here, and he calls it the ministration of condemnation. And he, and he says that it's glorious. But then he says the ministration of righteousness and how it exceeds in glory because ministration is like having something administered to you. Like when you go to the doctor, they administer some sort of medication to you, and uh, and so and so God uh, administers His righteousness uh, to us, and and we we simply accept it just as as easily as you sit there calmly and let the the doctor put the little blood pressure cuff on you and get out his little needles and and all the little things that they that they do with their stuff and. If you don't sit calmly for a shot, then I maybe think about taking a pill. But um, the same same difference, you know. The thing is, is God He He imparts His righteousness to us, and uh, the uh, it, it's pretty much a passive thing on our part. But to accept it and to simply cooperate and obey with the things that that He that He would have us to do. And he makes those things plain. That goes right back to knowing his voice. Because he starts out here, he's like, you've got this word. He's like, here, I gave you this word. So begin here. Get your nose in the book. And and you'll begin to be able to sort through all those things that you hear. All those little voices. It's like, is that God or is that not God? Well, what does the word say? And and Or you'll just be tootling along thinking, man, I'm going to go to Starbucks. And and some like scripture will just pop into your brain about something totally unrelated that you were thinking about earlier in the day. It's like, huh, interesting. And so so God does those things. It's like, you know, God will say, you know, He's probably not going to tell you don't go to Starbucks, but He might. I like Starbucks. I don't like their CEO. But uh, okay, I buy my coffee local. Comes in a nice silver bag with an airplane on it. Shows up on my porch every other week. Glorious. So my my uh, my soda habit has has in some part been replaced by an uptick in my coffee intake. So, 
So if, if I seem like I talk a lot when, I'm, when you're having a conversation with me, that's probably why. You know, a pot in the morning and a pot at night. You know. I, you know, that's that's the problem with having an abundance of something, isn't it? You know, it's like if I'm buying a pound a week, I'm gonna have to you know, ration this out a little bit. If I've got like, if I've got two pounds and I've got more in the in the cabinet, it's like, well, it's already in the pot. It's already made. I I don't want to waste it. I might as well just drink it. I mean, this is expensive coffee, man. So. Yeah, I'm, I know Bob and Heidi are going to. That's, I'm going to pay them in coffee for letting me crash at their place for a while. Um, and they get to play with my kids, which is to say, I get a break and they get to watch them. Okay. okay. So the administration of righteousness then exceeds in glory. For even that which was made glorious has no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excels. So, you know, it's like hey, the, you know, the the old covenant was a great thing, but but the the fulfillment of it in the new covenant uh, so far exceeds it in glory. It's like like there was no glory at all in the old thing in comparison to this. For if that which was done away is, was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness or boldness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remains that same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. And even to this day, when Moses has read the veils on their heart, excuse me, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. That's pretty plain. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass or in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So there's that ministration of righteousness then. You know, you, you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you see you. And then uh, you kind of get used to seeing you in the mirror. I occasionally have those days where I, I look at myself in the mirror and it's like, oh, yeah. It's like, I, I forgot I looked like that. But what we what we come to eventually is, what and what God is saying here is, you get up and you look in the mirror and you see him. And and that's what we want. Because he puts that seed in you, and all you got to do is let it grow. All you got to do is, is let him administer that righteousness to you. And... Before you know it, you'll get up in the mirror and you'll see him. And and people around you will see him. Some people will like that. Some people won't. But none, you know, nevertheless, that, that that is part of what that ministration of righteousness is about. Go with me over to Hebrews chapter 8. And we'll wrap this up. I'm going to start in verse 7. And I already kind of said everything I was going to say about it, so this is probably going to be a bit of review, as it were. For if that first covenant had been faultless, so we are talking about the the difference between the two covenants again. If that first covenant had been faultless, there should have been no place sought for the second. So so he found fault with the first one because, of course, the 
the law requires you to keep it. And uh, and and he tells us in Galatians that the the purpose of the law is is not that you you keep it and that's your entrance into glory. It's uh, this tells you that you need him. This tells you that you you have uh, diagnosed this problem in your life because you have sin and it's going to kill you. But here we here we have the antidote. And so uh, so he says that the the first covenant was not without fault then. And he says, if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. You don't fix what ain't broken. For finding fault with him, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Because when you have a covenant... It's like a contract. It's like an agreement. You have both parties have a responsibility to it. And, uh, you know, when Cynthia and I got married, I thought, this is great. Now I have somebody to make my breakfast and, and, and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, but I, that also means I have to get up and go off to work and pay the bills and stuff. Okay. So, covenant then. You know, it's like, so she's not my servant? Dang it. But, so, no, actually, after about a week, I realized I I realized there was no point in her getting up, and I thought, you know, it's like I wish I could sleep in, you know, but she could. So why don't you just, you know, sleep in? I've been making my own breakfast for ages. I can make my own breakfast. It's like, are you sure? I was like, yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> like in that case, I'm going to just stay in bed then. So I'd get up in the morning. I'd get around for work. And, like, all right, I'm leaving now. Bye. I love you. Like, <laughs> so, as, as it should be when you don't have children to take care of. Anyway, so he says, uh, he said that they continued not in his covenant, so he regarded them not. He's like, you know, if, if you're not going to keep your half, I'm not going to keep my half. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. And I will write them on their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they will be to me a people. So then, so he goes from this this covenant where he's got this this law exerting force and pressure on you from the outside to I'm going to put I'm going to put the covenant inside you. I'm going to put. I was, I was telling my kids uh, about something like this recently, and I was like, it's like a map. Well, it's like a GPS. Because you know, of course they're young, like a map. Yeah. <laughs> like, Daddy, what's a record? <laughs> what's a cassette tape? So, um, and he says, "I will write them in their hearts." So that's an entirely different matter. That goes back to letting this mind be in you, because uh, because this this covenant, this law, this is in what, is what's in God's heart, and so He's saying, "I'm going to put this in your mind." I'm going to put my mind in you, and just like just like Jesus did, He's that example, and we could see how well it worked for Him. So He said, "I'm going to write it in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they will be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest." And Miss Colleen. 
so says that uh, you know, they're not all going to say, know the Lord. They'll all know me from least to greatest. And that's what the fivefold ministry is all about. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Until we all come to that fullness of the stature, the full stature of Christ. And so, uh, just briefly, I just also wanted to touch on, if you've never studied this, there's, uh, there's two different words here for know. And, uh, and there's... Uh, he says, you're not going to need to say, know the Lord. Like, this is a know, like, knowing about something. You know, and it's great because Spanish does this. They have, uh, saber, I know this, I know all about this thing. I know it experientially. And then there's conocer, I'm familiar with this thing. And and that's kind of the difference here. And I, I don't recall the words off the top of my head, but, uh, or how to pronounce them, because I've never studied Greek, but, uh, but he says, Know the Lord. Know about Him. He says, yes, nobody's going to need to teach everybody else at church about God because they're all going to know Him. And this is a different kind of knowing. This is an experiential kind of knowing. This is like like Adam knew Eve and they had a son. And so this is an entirely different sort of knowledge then. And so when when God comes into your heart then... Uh, as you grow in that relationship with Him, you don't need anybody to teach you about Him because you know Him. I, I don't need I don't need anybody to teach me about Cynthia and about what she likes and what she doesn't like and stuff. Um, I know what she likes sometimes more than she does, and so um, so I think we we've done well with that. But he says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And then he says, a new covenant he's made the first old. And that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish away. So, so this sense of this is how I get to heaven, which is never what God intended for the law to be, but how people, how the Jews saw it. He's saying we're getting rid of that. And, and we're putting putting in this new covenant, which is now been new for centuries upon centuries and and yet to every generation there's still this sense of so you're not telling me that I, I do X, Y, and Z and that's how I get to heaven or what? You know, when my, when my grandmother was in the uh, hospital after she broke her hip, uh, I think the second one, uh, as uh, her Alzheimer's went from bad to worse right about then, and uh, you know she was no longer going to be able to live at home and, and all that. And uh, we were visiting at the hospital, and uh, the social worker came in and started talking to my mom and my aunt about long-term care and that kind of thing. And uh, so while they were having this conversation, I was kind of sitting there, and I, I asked my grandma a few questions, kind of figure out how. Uh, in the moment she was and gathered that she seemed to be rather in the moment. And I, and I told her, I was like, you know, Grandma, I realized that after all these years, I've never actually made sure that you know how to get to heaven. Do you, do you know how to get to heaven? And she said no. And I thought, wow, I thought surely she would know. But this is why I'm having this conversation with her. And so I talked to her about it. And I didn't tell her, you know, you, you got to do this and that and the other thing. I told her, you have to trust in, in the, the love and the, the mercy and the blood of Jesus. And that's what gets you there and nothing else. And uh, 
and uh, she, I asked her if I could pray with her, and she said sure. And and that was about the last lucid conversation I really had with her. And I, I haven't seen her too many times. Every time I see her, she acts like it's the first time she's seen me in ages, and and uh, talks about how I look like my grandpa. So, so, so I, I look forward to her uh, just kind of scooting on comfortably in the glory without all the other stuff. So, and it's hard on my on my family there. My my mom goes and sees her every other day and hangs out with her while she just mostly sleeps. So, that's kind of a tough thing, but but you know, I didn't I didn't go and give her a bunch of rules. I I just I talked to her about the the love of God and and his mercy because that's that's what you really need. And and of course, when God pours out that kind of love on you, and and you're not already at at you know death's door, then the sense of living for him then is uh, is something that just kind of the willing and the working just sort of happens in you because he puts it there, and and there's nothing like being thankful to to bring those things up in your life. So Jesus, we praise you for your word and for this glorious covenant that you've given us, God. And uh, we pray that none of us would be remiss in the. Uh, requirements that you have given us for the covenant God you have uh, you have told us that uh, that you would confer these things on us but you've also told us to obey your voice and so God we pray that 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 love and that trust would grow up inside of us and that we would come into that place God that that we would come into that fullness of having this covenant written uh, on our hearts and in our minds and that no longer would we know about you like Israel did, but we would know you like Moses did. God, we pray that you would do these things in us as only you can do. God, I pray that your presence would uh, minister today in this place exactly what you want, and nothing less and nothing more. And we pray it and ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen.